Hello and welcome to the Controller Talk podcast presented by Danfoss North America. Our goal is to bring you information about using Danfoss controls in the supermarket and warehouse industry, specifically in the U.S. and Canada. We're doing these twice a month for now. You can catch these podcasts on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and it's also available through the Danfoss RefTools app. For the video version, check us out on the Danfoss North America YouTube page. Search for Controller Talk to see our video collection. I'm Dave Yoder, along with Chris Brown. All right, Chris, how's that uh, University of Maryland record now? <laughs> it's three and one, so about what we expected there, right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't all bad. They That's hung, right. They hung with them for a while. Okay, yeah, they did. Only a seven-point margin. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's yep. right. Pretty good. Dan Foss survived a little bit of a scare in their last game, but uh, Dan Foss, no, Penn State. <laughs> Let's talk about Penn State, yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're still undefeated, so we'll see how long that lasts. I want to know more about this Danish football team. <laughs> it's a different type of ball, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Well, Chris, uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that we covered our latest front-end controller, which is, of course, the 800A, but skipped all the other ones. Yep. In this first of a two-part series, we're going to take a look at the System Manager 800 series controller, which has been getting most of the installation since 2015. It consists of the 820 convenience store controller, the 850 refrigeration controller, the 880 fully licensed controller for both refrigeration and HVAC, and the AKAL touchscreen alarm logger. So we're going to talk about uh, hardware uh, mostly, and, uh, and a few other things in this one. So, uh, first of all, there is no battery in the controller. Right. So no battery to buy, no battery to change, anything like that. It's just saved on a chip basically and, um, makes things a little easier. Yep. So there is a, uh, a couple of USB ports to the right of the display. And, uh, if you look in there, there's a square one that we don't really use. And there's a standard USB port, and we can use that with um, a thumb drive to do backup uh, back of the database, restores. Uh, we can load ED3 files for case controllers and things like that. And if you really want to, you can save history files and save some reports. Mm, just and it's something I've seen, probably you too, but sometimes the USB stick um, version or the type the manufacturer that can come into play if the controller is going to recognize it or not. So yep, yep. just throw that out there. Yep. Uh, typically, if you throw a 128 gig uh, flash drive in there, it may not recognize it. And yeah. smaller, simpler, probably better. Yep. Yep. And on that USB um, port, you can connect a USB keyboard. Uh, once again, older is a little better. Older and simpler is better. Um, I think you can even plug in a wireless mouse uh, portion there and uh, run it that way too. I haven't tried it myself, but yeah, that's my understanding as well. I've done I've done the keyboards. Um, right. Yeah, that can definitely come in handy. Yep. So across the bottom of the controller, there's a keypad there, and it's, uh, of course, removable. There's a little slot on each side and one underneath. And typically, if you push a screwdriver in that slot or even a coin, you're loosening up a little catch there and then you can take the keypad off and it's designed to be removed because you have to to get to the connectors underneath yep uh, that's where the power goes and um, all sorts of things get in there um, as far as um, connectors uh, when you when it comes to 
connections that require a termination resistor, the Modbus and the lawn connectors under that keypad have a termination switch right above the port. And uh, if you want to turn the termination switch on, you slide it to the right, and that gives us a 120 ohm resistor at the beginning of the loop. Yep. And that throws guys off sometimes because we didn't have that on the 255, right? It was just, it was in the board fixed, and yep. you didn't have a choice, and it was going to be one end of your loop. So right. something different there. Guys are using the 255 as their point of reference that they got to pay attention to. Yep. Uh, and then the communication wire, you can get into that a little bit. Um, similar there, I mean, it's just that uh, we've got to pay attention to the type of wire we're using. You can't just roll out to Home Depot or Lowe's and pick up some, some good old-fashioned thermostat wire to use. Right. Uh, there's a lot of characteristics and specs that play into these cables and what our controller is expecting. And if they don't match up, you're going to see problems. So, I mean, we've got the two versions of the 800. So there's a TP78 lawn-based version, um, mainly for retrofits of systems like a 255. Uh, so for those TP78 um, units, it's a level four cable is what we're looking for there to match the spec of the uh, controller. And then on the RS-485 line loops uh, and, and units, and then if we're using Modbus equipment, um, there's a, a cable spec called EIA-485 rated cable, and it plays into the, um, the resistance, the impedance on the cable, those sorts of things. But that's the spec that we have to match there to, to kind of ensure we're not going to have problems with traffic, data collision packet, data packet collisions, just offline issues. Right. Um, so yep. Yeah. EIA-485 rated cable is what we want there. And uh, Belden has some options. Windy City is probably the most popular. Uh, I don't, it's a 43 number, yeah, 43006AL or something along those lines. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Did I get my stump? Was that going to be yeah. the stump Chris question? <laughs> it would be a good one, but no. <laughs> I got one better than that yeah, in, uh, the, in the queue. I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that Windy City is probably the most popular, I think, from a pricing standpoint. And from what I've heard, the, the flexibility of the cable itself is a little easier to work with. So that's the one that we see most often. Yep. We can always provide uh, those spec numbers if necessary. Of course. Yep. 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 Uh, our networking side of things with the units. So um, we have a ethernet cable, a cat five, cat six cable. We're gonna run into the, the controller. We had talked in one of the last few episodes here when we were on the 800A about where that connection goes into, where it's up inside of the controller. Here with the older 800, it is on the outside of the box right there at the bottom. So a little bit of a difference there um, between those two model types. So here it is the one that's most visible and most obvious to you where you're connecting that in. There's some LED lights on there to kind of give you an indication of traffic and whether or not the, the connection's good. Um, so you'll see that there, but, but that's where you're connecting that cable is at the bottom of the 800. Uh, we do only have one host communication type. So this is again, not the 255 anymore where you could use a, a two wire cable to daisy chain from one system manager to the next, like the 255 offered. Here, it's got to be Ethernet. So you're taking, you're not jumping in Ethernet from one controller to the next. Everything should be its own home run back to some sort of a switch or router. Um, and that's where you're tying the 800 into your, uh, into your network so that you have access to it. 
So those settings you'll see in the controller for host communication type, it's automatically assumed that it's going to be Ethernet there. Right. And then on the phone modem side, again, we're, we're moving away from some technologies here. Uh, and, and the phone modem was probably the most prevalent one. So 255 had it. We had that, that whole section where you could go in and configure modem types. Um, every once in a blue moon, I still get those questions of what modems can I use with the 800? And the answer is you can't. So there's not going to be any way to link a phone modem for, for a phone line access into the units. So that's something if you're doing a 255 conversion, you'll have to plan for is the fact that if you had a phone modem there, you're going to have to shift, to, shift over to a, um, an Ethernet-based connection if you still want communication to the unit. Uh, mounting of them, so they can either be kind of a, a front-mounted to a cabinet or they can be flush-mounted. Um, so you, you get some of the hardware out of the box that allows you to, to mount them that way and then just having the right cutout if you're flush-mounting them. Um, in your panel, uh, it's just something you have to pay attention to there. Um, but we should give you everything you need to mount it in either one of those two fashions. Uh, on the power side, so just to power the unit up, it's just line voltage, so anywhere between 100 and 240. No jumpers to worry about, no switches to put in place, depending on which one of the, those two voltage ranges you're using there. The, the controller auto-recognizes and, and is uh, it just handles anything in that range, so you just need to kind of land your wires on the power or, or on that power plug inside the unit and then plug it in and you should be good to go. Uh, and then one last thing here um, before I hand it back over to you would be on the, uh, on the right of the display, you've got the door that you mentioned for the USBs. Um, also inside of that door is a little button that you may not, not even notice unless you're really paying attention. It's recessed inside of that area in the controller um it's not very big it's only about big enough to get a paper the end of a paper clip into uh that is a reset button that you can use so maybe if for whatever reason you're in the com tab and you can't reset it from there and you you need another way to do it um and you don't want to just pull power from the unit this little recessed button inside the unit you can put a paper clip like i said in there hold it for three to five seconds and then you should see the controller reset if you're doing that Right. Yep. It's just a little button under the bad down on the board you can't see, but yep. it will reset, especially if you can't uh, or don't have the access to get into the comm screen and reset it that way. Right. It's just another option. Yep. All right. So on the keyboard across the top, there are four symbols there. Um, there's even, there might even be some menus where they ask you to press the F1 through the F4 button. And if you see that, you'll know that the button all the way on the left is F1, and the one all the way on the right is F4, but uh, you're not going to see that a lot. Um, but if you do, you'll know what they correspond to. So if we look at the top of the keyboard, there's a home button over on the left side, and um, that will, of course, allow you to go back to what we call the dashboard. It's the main screen on the unit. And in most of these versions, if you hit it again, you'll get to something called a custom screen. If you get to the custom screen uh, and you don't want that, you just hit it again and it takes you back to the dashboard. But the custom screen under um, the system menu will allow you to plug in a list of points that are already programmed. So if you just want to look at some critical temperatures or something like that, 
then you can list them in there. And then when you hit the custom screen, it's just one button that gives you a list of all those uh, inputs and outputs and tells you what's going on. The next button over toward the right is the menu button. Um, it has three lines on it. That's all you'll see there. Um, but it's kind of a shortcut to things like history, the USB menu, network nodes. You can get info. Um, the info button lets you know what version software is in there, that sort of thing. I wish we had picked a different icon for that. So <laughs> hit the button with three lines on it. <laughs> well, there's got to be something. Yeah. yeah, we'll work on that. Danish kroner or something we can put on there. Sure. <laughs> or a, a menu from a diner or something like that. There you go. Yeah. All right. Then uh, to the next one to the right is the alarm uh, key. It looks like a bell, and that takes you right to the alarm menu. So you can see what's an alarm or get some more details about the alarm that you have. You could get to an alarm status which is a listing of all the alarms you have in the controller and would tell you if something's tripped or if something's uh, pending and would go into alarm if nothing changed. And then the last one all the way in the right is the config key, uh, which looks like a gear. And that's fairly important if you want to get in and do uh, changes. Um, so you can get to things like the system menu, config menu, um, network nodes, your comm setup for your IP addresses, uh, and, of course, you get into the control menu in there, too, where you actually can make some some larger changes. Yeah, if you're not doing just some general troubleshooting or system checks, then you're probably configuring things if you're in the unit. And that's the section you're going to be in quite a bit. Right. Uh, so and then we've got the, the topic of, system, of software upgrades. And so not uncommon. I mean, it's something that we've got to do from time to time. And so, I mean, the, the 800s. Um, we're at version 8095 right now. I don't anticipate us coming out with another one because we have moved on to the 800A, but it's always possible that, that maybe we do add one last final one or a second after that, depending on what the needs are and, and what we've got in the unit right now. Uh, so if somebody does have to upgrade a software version in a controller in, in a SM800, it's going to be something that we're typically doing locally. It's not like the 800A where we're, we've moved on to more of a remote solution for that. So most times, guy's going to be on site. Uh, he, he's going to have a USB stick, and he's going to get the files either from us or he's going to download them from the web page onto his computer and then slide them over to a USB stick. And then that, that USB is being plugged into that port that we alluded to earlier um, to do this. And so it, it's a little more time consuming than what you you're going to see with the newer models with this one you could be uh, some of them are on the lower end of maybe a five ten minute upgrade but when i talk about the different options here on how to upgrade it in a, a second you're going to see some of them could be 20 30 minutes um to get everything fully upgraded and back up and running again so it, it, you want to make sure you're allotting yourself for the right amount of time when you're doing these um so with the upgrades, there's two categories. There's your boot file um, that could come into play. We don't always have to upgrade that, but when you're you're going and doing an upgrade, that's something you want to check, whether it's calling into us, emailing us, or whether you know what to look for there. But the boot file or the boot version in the controller has to line up with the application or firmware version that we're going to have in there. And if it doesn't, if we have an older boot file, we need to get that upgraded before we can upgrade the software or the application in the unit. 
So if we said you got to upgrade your bootloader version first, we're going to make sure you have the right file for that. And that's going to be step one is when you plug in the USB, assuming you've got the right access levels, you're going to get a pop-up screen and it's going to give you different options to load in. And, and you want to choose the option to load the boot file in. And off the top of my head, I'm drawing a blank on if that's one, two, three. I think it's somewhere up towards the top of the list though. Right, right. Uh, so it'll load that in. It'll say, I'm going to reset the unit now. And you'll say, okay. And it'll come back up after that. And then you either can press your, your menu button and get into, uh, the option for your USB stick, or you can just unplug it and plug it back in again. And it'll pop up the same window you had, um, previously. And now you're saying, okay, now I need to upgrade my firmware or my software. And so there's three versions of an upgrade file for, when you need to do a firmware upgrade, um, there's a CSI, which is kind of your most basic where you're really just upgrading the application and you're not getting some of the secondary things like new ED3 files for case controllers and maybe some HVAC equipment. And you're not getting the new web files that you might be loading in there that maybe you needed that for um, when you're looking at this from a, a store view desktop software standpoint or something along those lines. So the CSI is going to be your quickest time-wise, but it's also going to give you the least amount of um, what's actually being upgraded in the unit. Uh, the MAI is going to be everything that I just mentioned as far as the application. It's also going to include the web files and the ED3 files. So it's everything except for the factory files. So obviously a little more is going in there. That's going to be a little more time consuming. So now you're getting close to that maybe 10, 20 minute range for an upgrade. And then the, the final one, the full package, if you want to call it that, is a FAI. Um, and this is where you're going to be looking at that 20, 30 minute time frame to upgrade if this is the version that we have to load in. So, I mean, if you're unsure, talk to us. Um, a lot of times I think it's the MAI is probably the one that Right. We're telling people to use most often. Yep. Um, but if there's any doubt on why you're upgrading or which one you should use, then check with us and we'll, we'll let you know. Um, and just one last thing on the upgrades you want to keep in mind too is if you've got a store with multiple controllers, if you upgrade one, you've got to upgrade them all. So we, we can't have versions or controllers at different versions in a store or else you're going to see some issues with them communicating with one another. So keep that in mind as well. Uh, we can have some situations where maybe a unit fails to boot up um, because of some software file issues. So again, if we need to, if you do run into that, then um, one fix can be taking that same CSI file I just mentioned and loading that back in again. So that can help fix that issue. And when you're doing this, uh, you mentioned taking the the keypad off of the unit before um, with all the connections under there. One other thing you'll have is there's a boot switch. It's more towards the middle of the unit when you're looking behind those connections or behind the, the keyboard. Um, but that boot switch needs to be put into a boot mode when you go to do this. Um, and then you'll load the file in. Then after you're done with that, then you want to make sure you're putting that boot switch back to an off position. Um, or else the next time someone the power is lost or the unit resets, if that boot switches in the on position, it's going to go to kind of a factory application screen and just sit there. 
Uh, and then I'll, last one I'll touch on is a logger. Um, so if you're setting up the alarm logger for the AKSM 800 series, uh, you need to go into your master controller, so your unit zero controller, and there's going to be a screen under your alarm uh, routing setup where you need to tell the unit that there is an alarm logger so it knows to, to pass the alarms to it. Um, you still have your rotary dial for addressing, but, uh, that's irrelevant here. So, it, I mean, you can set it wherever you want. It's not going to matter. The loggers are hard coded or fixed to be, um, address nine. So, I mean, you can put it yeah, wherever you want. It's not going to matter. The loggers always registered as address nine in the host network. Yep. Okay. So that's uh, part one of working through the SM800. In two weeks, we'll be back to talk about menus, features, and some of the things that guys tell me they can't find in the controller. Well, Chris, let's uh, move on to the part I alluded to earlier, where <laughs> I'll throw a question at you. And of course, you need to confirm that I have not shared the question with you ahead of time. Is that right? Correct. Okay. We may need to consider having a therapist sit in here for these questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you surprise me more often than not. Uh, the anxiety that comes with these, I'm telling you. Everyone's counting on you. Yeah. So um, you, we talked about the fact that on this controller, you can flush mount it. And um, there's a few screws in there that you need to... Uh, mount this thing, mm -hmm. depending on how you mount it. But regardless, you're probably going to need a Torx uh, screwdriver at some point. Now, the, the question, somebody actually called and asked yesterday, um, for real, what size is that Torx screw? Hmm. 10 millimeter? Well, I'll give you a hint. It should start with the letter T <laughs> uh, and be followed by a number. Mm -hmm. uh, T12. You're close. T10. T10 uh, and a half. <laughs> <laughs> now you're reaching. <laughs> it is a T10. Yeah. Yeah. So your second guess, and it sounded like a guess, your second guess was correct. What makes yeah. you think that? <laughs> if you, uh, yeah, if you need a uh, Torx uh, little driver or tool to uh, work this thing, you're going to need a T10. That was a legit question. All right. Now let's talk about listener mail, shall we? Yeah. So this was uh, from a listener, and uh, we'll call him Jim in Jersey, good old state of New Jersey, the Garden State. Yeah, so he has some questions about the uh, the lawn ports on the uh, 800. And uh, first of all, he wanted to know why we're going away from TP78 and shifting to RS485. And he also wanted to know why there's really only one um, RS485 lawn port on the controller as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's we keep hearing about the the manufacturers of these Echelon chips, and they're the they're, they're shifting, right? They, they uh, I guess the writing's on the wall that TP seventy eight's dying off, and they're not manufacturing as much of it. So, I mean, yeah, our equipment's used it for years and years, but there's plenty of other companies in the world that use them chips too to give them the volume they needed to, to keep doing what they were doing. And right. I think that's died off. And so that's where you see our shift moving away from that into things like RS-485 with the Echelon, um, Modbus, uh, I mean, even maybe some Ethernet now based equipment. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's, I think, what's based on us shifting away from that is the manufacturers are shifting away from it because they're not seeing the same volumes they used to. And then I, I think for the the plug side, just moving away from having four or five T 
TP78 plugs down to just one for a 485 version. It kind of goes hand in hand with um, what we see the shift to on the, the new stores and the fact that we are moving to a lot more case controller based stores. And so we don't have um, two, three, four different types of equipment. Now we're using maybe Modbus for a lot of things on the case controller side. And, and you have the one plug for that that you can get two runs out of. And then maybe where you do have the equipment for some echelon-based devices, you do have the just the one plug now, but you can get the two loops out of it because the controller can be treated like the middle of the loop. So I think it's just based on the fact that we're seeing that shift away from centralized IO controlled stores to more and more case control or generic based stores that, that have that equipment in it. Right. Yeah. And the shift's not the end of the world. It's not like uh, TP78 is never going to be seen again. It's just a, a decrease in numbers. Yeah. And, um, and RS45 is a little more common. So that's the shift. And uh, this controller is shipped all over the world. And Europe's been using Lawn 485 for quite a while. Right. So to them, it's no big deal. Right. All right. So if you'd like to drop us an email with a suggestion for topics to cover or a question or a comment, you can email us at ControllerTalkNorthAmerica at DanFoss.com. Thanks for listening. Our studio and video engineer is Michael Don't Call Me Mike Beckerman. Our audio engineer is still Raul Garcia. And Maria is back in the U.S. ready for some bits. Uh, yeah, bits. How about bacon and grits? Good old bacon and grits for the U.S. I'm sure she's going to run right out to the diner for that. I think bits are what the Danish football team eats before a game. <laughs> You're probably right. Until next time, for Chris Brown, I'm Dave Yoder. Stay cool.